The business of shipping has been getting more complicated than usual over recent weeks. Proof, if proof were needed, that without the Lloyd's List podcast on hand to make sense of an unfathomable world, chaos ensues. But fear not, we're back. The regular weekly edition of Shipping's Essential Audio Guide has returned to help, and this week we're looking at why shipping is facing a sanctions compliance crisis. The Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Economic measures to cut Russia off from the world's financial arteries are the most extensive seen since the Second World War, and the impact is starting to be felt. Now, we're going to be talking in this week's episode about what that means for shipping companies trying to navigate the morass of rapidly evolving financial trade restrictions. But before we start to go into the specifics, I thought it might be worth just noting some of the latest context of how the sanctions situation is evolving because it is evolving very quickly. The European Parliament in Strasbourg finally confirmed this week that it was phasing out Russian oil and refined products. But over in St. Petersburg, the discussions about the future of Russian oil were already focusing on exit strategies. In case you missed the big Lloyd's List exclusive this week, we've been speaking to the bankers and lawyers quietly negotiating with Russian tanker giant Sovkonflot who were quickly trying to sell off ships in order to pay back the loans to Western banks before the wind-down period on sanctions kicks in on May the 15th. Now, so far we only know that eight ships have been sold, but according to those who I'm speaking to that are directly involved, they could be looking to sell up to a third of the fleet. Now that's significant because, as most of those listening will appreciate, despite the political circumstances they find themselves in right now, Sovconflot still has a solid reputation in the market, and clearly they want to keep their options open for a return when sanctions are eventually lifted. But there's also likely a calculation here on the part of Sovconflot as to how many ships it's going to need to trade within the sanctions regime, which, let's face it, is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. Moscow will have seen what happened to the NITC fleet when Iran was sanctioned, and Frankly, nobody really wants to be sitting watching their assets rust for the next 10 years. We've already seen some of the ships head into some pretty opaque ownership structures in Dubai and China, so the destination of Russia's tankers are likely to be the subject of another episode as we uncover more details. But for this week, I wanted to focus on the impact that all these sanctions are having on the rest of the industry. Clearly, there are going to be some owners out there who are looking at the sanctions as an opportunity. There always will be. I was talking to one major Greek ship owner only last night who has been increasing his exposure to the Russian trades while the rest of his peers are running for the hills. I am a mere humble taxi driver, he told me. I don't take political sides. He's not alone, of course. As detailed in Lloyd's List's latest risk and compliance report published this week, see lloydslist.com for details, while many of the European and American traders and oil companies and maritime service providers have all terminated business with Russian shipping entities since the Ukraine invasion, our analysis shows that Greece's biggest ship owners have actually increased their exposure. Most shipping companies, however, are trying to avoid Russian risk, but that is easier said than done. As we recalled this week's edition, European member states were still nailing down the details of the proposed Russian oil and refined products ban that is going to rapidly reconfigure global tanker trade routes. Unsurprisingly, Greece and Cyprus were both understood to be contesting the details there, 
precisely because they have calculated the impact that they're going to have on their individual sectors. The reality is that these sanctions are by no means an end game, and the detail is going to continue to complicate international trade for many months, if not years to come. We're still seeing near-daily amendments, clarifications and legalese-laden FAQs to patch the hastily issued legislation. And large sections of the shipping industry are working without in-house compliance teams. That has left them struggling to keep pace. The Western response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine may be broadly aligned in terms of political objective, but the details differ significantly. Regimes often overlap and inconsistencies are acknowledged across the board. Add in the mercurial mix of enforcement appetites, jurisdictional grey areas and calculations of blocking statutes being employed as the financial world fractures in line with regional political alliances, it all becomes clear that a global sanctions compliance minefield is being laid in the path of an industry that, with minimal exceptions at the top, has not kept pace with the compliance monitoring forced upon other sectors. The banks have invested billions, but shipping hasn't. An external legal counsel is an expensive stopgap with limited availability. What we now have is a complex patchwork of maritime banking and financial sanctions. So I've been talking to various experts this week about the implications and what I described in our recent special report, again, see lawyerslist.com for details, as a compliance crisis. I started by asking our resident sanctions experts and markets editor, Michelle Vesey bockman whether she thought that the market had yet fully grasped the complexities of what it was and wasn't allowed to do, and whether inevitably there were elements testing the boundaries of what it can get away with. Well, yes, Richard, that's exactly what's happened. Um, bizarrely, everybody thought and, and estimated that Russian crude and refined product exports would drop as a result of self-sanctioning and the sanctions on those commodities that have been placed specifically by the US, Canada and the UK. Now, what's happened, though, is that a lot of these cargoes have been redirected to Asia, India, China, South Korea. These are all major buyers now of Russian origin cargoes. Because there's an increased number of tankers sailing longer distances and discharging at these east of Suez Canal ports, demand for tankers has lifted and that's created opportunities for those tanker operators and owners who want to take advance, advantage of the higher rates that, they can, that can be secured for lifting Russian cargoes. And specifically, these have been mostly private Greece-owned vessels. So I, I did some data analysis and I looked at the 190 tankers that have been tracked shipping crude or oil cargoes out of four key ports, Primorsk, Novorossiysk, Usluga and St. Petersburg over April. And I found that of those 190 tankers, 76 were beneficially owned by Greek ship owners. I compared it back to April in 2021 and of the 172 tankers that were tracked calling at these ports over that period, only 30 were beneficially owned by Greece ship owners. So who has taken advantage of these better trading conditions? Well, we've found that vessels owned by George Economou um, and his TMS tankers are shipping the most crude products out of those ports over April. 16 tankers of 1.9 million dead weight were there. 
And that was followed by Andreas Mantinos and family, whose company Minerva Maritime shipped crude oil products on 17 tankers, just on 1.7 million dead weight, so a little fewer. And that compares to fewer tankers over the year ago period. So clearly there are winners and losers out of the um, tanker market situation. And George Economou is by far the biggest winner. And just a little bit of colour, um, George Economou, very well known in shipping circles. I can confirm the rumours are true. He does have a paper mache cow covered in cash at the front of his office in Athens. So he's found another cash cow in the Ukraine-Russia war. Nice detail. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, to be clear here, we are in no way suggesting that anybody is doing anything in any way illegal. Nope. We're just pointing out that there is a continuation of Russian crude trade carrying on. And inevitably, those who have spotted an advantage in the market are taking it. Yes, and not only that, what I have also observed is that there's now the development of some ship-to-ship transfer areas which are from which there are very large crude carriers, the biggest tankers, that are hanging around south of Gibraltar, Kalamata, Greece, up near Skagen in Denmark, and they are taking crude that has or, or refined products that's been loaded at these Russian ports, and then they're being transferred onto these vessels and then they're sailing for onward destination to other ports mostly east of asia but also in northwest europe now once again there's no suggestion there's any breach of sanctions but it does add that extra layer of complexity when trying to determine which vessels are laden with russian crude which vessels are linked to russian crude and already we've seen one vessel um uh, prevented entry to Spain, Barcelona this week, and that was because it had undertaken a ship-to-ship transfer of some palm oil from a Russian flag tanker in waters off Malta, and that was within European waters, which is directly in breach of European sanctions that ban Russian flag vessels, but not Russian linked vessels, nor Russian cargoes. So it, it it's ever evolving and very, very complex. And, and everyone is struggling to get their heads around what can and can't be done. And as I said, very, very confusing. And, and this is the point. We, we're talking at the point where there are subtle but important discrepancies and differences between the UK sanctions regime, the US regime, and as you say, the EU regime, which is only targeting Russian flagged vessels with a whole host of caveats and uh, general license applications and various other things that will allow trade to continue. So again, we are in no way suggesting that anything untoward is happening. But it's interesting because uh, we're not seeing Russian tankers or companies transporting Russian oil evolve into using any of the sanctions evasion tactics precisely because they are allowed to trade. But that's not to say they won't. And I think probably the desire to self-sanction and the desire to not be associated with Russian trade is probably going to increase the willingness of those trying to hide what they are doing to some extent at some point. Well, there is a reputational risk faced by those engaged in shipping Russian crude. 
if you're a privately owned Greek ship owner, um, I would say that reputational risk is minimal compared to a listed company, say like Maersk, for example, which has a tanker division, which has already committed to, to not shipping any more Russian crude. And several Northwest Europe uh, ship owners, tanker owners who are listed have also made the, the same pledge. Many of them didn't have in huge engagement in that area anyway, but they have said that, you know, they have made a stance. So it is going to be very interesting to watch the evolution of trades while the war in Ukraine continues. I think it's very, very likely we could see a two-tier market develop where you have some ships that will work specifically in this market and reap the rewards while the normal market will, will continue. And that's probably a, a, a sort of very similar to what's happened with US sanctioned Venezuelan and Iranian trades, but without the subterfuge and the, the blatant um, sanctions busting techniques we've seen there, which include switching off vessel tracking, um, satellite devices, etc. Here, this is all happening in plain sight. Quite. And we will no doubt be revisiting this as the situation evolves. As we say, this is uh, a complex situation where the caveats and applications to allow these trades change on a daily basis. So we would advise listeners to keep an eye on Lloyd's List and Lloyd's List Intelligence for up-to-date information on how these sanctions are evolving. But for now, Michelle, thanks again for joining the Lloyd's List podcast. Thank you. So we know that some are testing the boundaries, but for the vast majority of operators, it's a question of trying to understand the complexities emerging and not inadvertently contravening rules that are constantly changing around you. Even before the full detail of the sixth round of EU sanctions gets passed, we know that there's more coming. And that's going to cause complications. Tanker trade lanes have already been dramatically reshaped since Russia's February 24th invasion of Ukraine. Russian crude cargoes are being diverted to Turkey, India, China and transshipment areas in international waters outside Greece, Gibraltar, Malta and Cyprus for ship-to-ship transfers to larger tankers for onward shipment to Asia. Although European buyers from Baltic refineries are already shunning Russian crude shipments, Rotterdam remains the biggest destination for cargoes loaded from Baltic seaports, although it should be said that volumes are now falling. I spoke to Loisless Intelligence's Head of Risk and Compliance and Podcast Regular, Sebastian Villian, uh, asked him whether he thought the increasing complexity was making life harder for operators simply trying to stay on the right side of compliance. Yeah, absolutely, Richard. I think what makes it very complex is that these are bans and prohibitions. They're not not complete sanctions in, in the traditional sense. Uh, so while the EU has actually been quite clear in saying that they're only barring Russian flagged vessels uh, compared to the UK and the US where they're barring Russian flagged but also Russian owned and Russian operated. As we know, the shipping industry is largely built up on entities that are offshore registered. Uh, So the flag is not an indication on ownership. And what we're finding and what uh, a lot of our, our clients are coming to us with that they have problems with is to what extent will we will we be penalized by dealing with these entities if we understand that they have ultimately Russian owners, when actually what the guidance is saying is, is the registered owner uh, Russian or Russian affiliated, or is the commercial operator 
Russian or Russian affiliated and what is meant by Russian operated because again that is never completely clear cut. And the guidance will vary depending on the jurisdiction in which you are operating and that makes it that much more complicated to be able to navigate through those guidances and also they seem to be changing on a near daily basis as these sanctions evolve. We're talking at the point where the European Union, as you say, is only targeting Russian flagged vessels, but there is a live debate within the European Union as to whether oil should be also sanctioned. That will inevitably have consequences for the tanker fleet that is currently operating legitimately going in and out of Russia and trading Russian energy. So this is a bit of a moving target for shipping at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And again, the, the question here will be, will they formally sanction Russian crude oil and Russian petroleum products as, as a commodity, or will they continue as they're doing in, in the UK and, and in Canada and, and in the US with an import ban on Russian oil? Uh, mm. And there is a distinction here, and, and this is what leading to all of this self-sanctioning that we're seeing uh, by counterparties around, uh, particularly in Europe and of course in the Americas, but also in other parts of the world. And this is key. When you look at the actual sanctions themselves, there are currently only six vessels that are on a traditional SDN list, as we have it, the uh, specially designated uh, list of entities that are formally sanctioned. What we're talking about is sectoral sanctions, bans on port imports and various sector sanctions, which are necessarily much more complicated. And this is the point. What we've seen is most people are looking to understand the Russian control behind these supply chains, not necessarily because they think they are breaching sanctions, but because they want to extricate themselves from the reputational risk they run by dealing with an entity that is Russian controlled. And that is necessarily very different. We're not necessarily talking about sanctions avoidance here. We're talking about understanding the supply chains within which shipping operates, and that is quite complex. Absolutely. And of course, different companies will have different risk tolerances. Uh, and this is again where this becomes very, very grey, very difficult for a lot of people within uh, within trade finance, within shipping, within chartering, uh, within the commodities trade to really try and understand who they can and cannot deal with. Because a lot of these trades and what we're seeing going from Europe to Asia is at the moment in, in large terms looks permissible, but it's very difficult to say because again it depends on those sanction designations um, and 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 the level of control behind that. Wonderful, a fluid situation which we'll no doubt revisit fairly soon. Sebastian, thank you very much. Thank you. Clearly, this is a complex and pretty unique set of circumstances that the industry is facing. But as I argued in the risk and compliance report on LloydsList.com that you really should all read, there is a wider point here that should be considered. Russia may have sparked the current compliance crisis, but the industry's routine outsourcing of skills over decades has left a hole in its collective ability to navigate complexity. The role of Chief Compliance Officer is pretty commonplace outside of shipping, and even within shipping's major customers. Yet, apart from the odd corporate ship-owning anomaly, the role is at best a secondary objective for the Chief Financial Officer, possibly General Counsel. Banks and oil majors have invested billions and billions of dollars building up in-house compliance expertise, precisely because they understand the penalties that follow if they don't. Keeping on top of a plethora of regulations covering everything from 
capital to corporate governance and disclosure and diversity, well, it's expensive. But it's not as expensive as leaving it at the bottom of the to-do list. Shipping, I'm afraid to say, is not going to get any less complicated anytime soon. Anyway, on that note, I'm going to leave you with a final plug to check out loislist.com for evolving details of shipping's risk and compliance crisis. And if you need a tour of how to better understand the opaque structures of your supply chain and who is and isn't breaching sanctions compliance, well, visit loislistintelligence.com and check out our advanced risk and compliance tools. You can get in touch with me at all the usual places, richard.mead at informer.com, at loislisted via Twitter, or find me on LinkedIn. For now, have a good week and thank you for listening.